Welcome back to the ABC to CEO Preparing for the Possibility podcast. I'm Sharon Feeler, and today's episode is something special. Big news, since our heart-to-heart with Andrew Kidd, she's taken a significant leap forward and is now the CEO of Spheros Environmental. Andrew's journey is a real, relatable story of growth, of challenges, and of triumphs. Join us as she shares the honest ups and downs on her path to leadership. If you're looking for some real talk on climbing the corporate ladder, this is an episode you won't want to miss. Welcome to ABC to CEO, Preparing for the Possibility podcast. I'm Sharon Feeler, and we have a wonderful guest for you today who I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to speak with. We've been trying to put this together for some time, but this is a very busy woman, let me tell you. But lucky us, she made time for us today. So, Andrew Kidd, we're so glad to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sharon. I appreciate that. You have a great background, so diverse, and I know we're going to be able to talk about a lot of wonderful and interesting things that you've been doing in your career and advice you might have for other young women who are starting their careers. So why don't we just get started? How did you get to where you are today? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Sharon. It might be good to step all the way back to, let's see, I guess it would have been the middle of the 1990s, which seems like a long time ago. So I graduated from Indiana University. And long story short, I decided that I wanted to really go further into a science career. And at the time, I didn't really know what the options were in the science field, but I knew that I wanted to step in that direction a little bit more. So I decided that I wanted to get a master's of science in environmental science. And back during that time, we didn't have the internet uh, widely available. So we had to go to the library and crack open the Peterson's Guide to Graduate Schools and look for schools that actually had that degree that you wanted. And then you had to apply manually. So that's what I did. And I, I think I applied to four schools And Alaska Pacific University being the one that was the most far flung. And I also wanted to travel at the time. So when I got that acceptance letter, I got really excited thinking, wow, I can actually go to Alaska and work on my master's degree, which seemed like a really fun thing to do. So I went up to Alaska in 1997, took a couple of years to get my master of science and environmental science degree up there. And really just fell in love with the place up there. And at the time, the environmental jobs up there were quite plenty. And I thought I wanted to be a research scientist. So this is the beginning of my career really stepping into even the consulting space. I moved into a role as a scientist at a consulting company up in Alaska. And then was going down this path. I was dead set thinking that I wanted to be you know, a scientist. I wanted to get my PhD. And it's interesting because somewhere along the way, I decided that I actually really liked to work with people and I liked to do project management. So then I moved into a role where I was managing a small group of people and I was managing projects and kind of, you know, took my career in that direction a little bit further, still on a technical front though. Then I uh, had the opportunity, the company was doing a little bit of a reorganization a few years down the road that I was with. And uh, they were looking for somebody to step into a business development role. So I moved into a role where I was working with, with some of the groups internally to connect them 
to the external markets and the clients in the mining space because I had done a lot of work for clients up in Alaska in the mining space. So I became the international mining client development leader and was also working on some water-related business development activities along the way. And then you know I did that for a number of years and I enjoyed that quite a bit. So you, did you do a lot of international travel with that? Yeah, I really did. I was on the road. I worked on an acquisition in Australia. I was down in Chile working uh, on some opportunities down there. Canada, I was kind of all over the place. And then I decided I really wanted to take my career more into an operations focus. So I became an area manager and then a P&L manager for a business unit. Long story short, I ended up in the director of operations role for 2,100 people at a large consulting firm. I just really enjoyed it. It was very challenging, but it was very different than the business development, the technical roles. And then now, you know, I, I came over to Verdantis as the chief operating officer and then was also handling business development. Now we've split those apart. Now I'm working on MA, MA meeting mergers and acquisitions, and I'm working on the business development strategies here to grow the company. And, you know, the reason I sort of tell that long story over the course of 25 years is because I think it's really important for people to see that even if you pick one track that you think you want to go on, it doesn't mean you need to do that for, you know, the whole rest of your career. If you get five, 10 years down the road and you decide, you know, I'm really enjoying this, but maybe now I want to get this other flavor to my career, you absolutely can, you know, decide that you want to add those elements to your skill set. It just takes intentionality and and making decisions to go that direction. And it makes you a more well-rounded person in some ways. You are a classic example of some of the things we try to encourage young women to do is experiment with many different kind of roles. And you had P&L responsibility, which yep. is really important. So between P&L and all of your international work you've done and the fact that you manage a lot of people, you're doing strategy, business development, I think you're you're ticking the boxes for everything that we promote for young women and kind of to what we call demystify this role of becoming a CEO, you're getting prepared for that. And I would imagine that's something that's going to be happening to you in your career in the not too distant future. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, that is actually part of my career trajectory of where I want to go. And so you're exactly right. You kind of think about where you have skill sets and where you have not had experiences just yet and how you can start to add some of those skill sets to your arsenal, so to speak. And that's very much where I want to go. And so having that piece of the strategy, having the P&L piece, really working with large groups of people, you know, those are all important pieces I felt to moving into that kind of a role. Absolutely. So you've done a lot of things right. So what would be one thing you wish you could tell your younger self that you know today that you didn't know 25 years ago? Is there something that you can advise young women about that I may have done it this way, but if I had to do it over, I would possibly do this differently? Oh boy, only one thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's really interesting to kind of think about, you know, the the trajectory over the course of the Those years, you know, one of the things that I would say is I thought I had everything mapped out, you know, so for example, I thought I was going to get a PhD in fisheries and I went down that road and, you know, and I I sort of got halfway down that road and I thought, this is a goal that I had defined for myself years ago. Does it really apply now? You know, I'm not sure that this is really where I want to go. You know, it's okay to, and you you should stop along the way and make sure that you're reevaluating your goals 
and that you're getting the experiences that you need to get to get to your longer term goal. It's okay to, you know, check in every once in a while and redirect the ship, so to speak, if you feel like, you know, this isn't working for me. It's not not what I thought I wanted to do. And, you know, maybe I want to go a little bit of a different direction. Um, so that was one piece of information. So I thought, you know, even though you think you might have it all mapped out, continue to check in and, you know, make sure that you're you're still on the trajectory of, of what really feeds you and where you really want to go, not necessarily, you know, what's been defined for you at some point. Yeah, I really love that. And I think one of the other traits you exhibit by doing that is you're somewhat of a risk taker. Mm-hmm. Um, you did take paths that maybe were not on your original direction you want to go. And it's like you saw something different and you weren't afraid to go for it. I think that's a wonderful attribute for any leader to have. I think so too. It's interesting because you need to be able to give yourself permission to take those risks and really, you know, kind of see it all the way through to the point where, you know, you could kind of just stop and check in and say, you know, is this taking me where I want to go? And, you know, I think that's really important as a leader. Yeah, it's very important. So that's a a skill that I think some people are sometimes afraid to change their mind. They think maybe they had a plan and they should stick to it, but you were able to recognize maybe it's time to, you know, change course here a little bit and find something that either you felt better about doing, you enjoyed it more, or you just felt you were better at it. I love the fact that you were able to rethink things and uh, follow a new path. So what is the best advice you've ever been given in your career? What do you think back on and think this was some great advice, made a difference, and I'd like to pass it on today? Yeah, some of the best advice that I've been given is that it's all about the people. So much of what we do is about people and how you're able to connect with people pull people together to work on an initiative or a project or a task or to complete something. And building teams is a skill that sometimes it you know it takes a little bit of time to try to figure out what that looks like and how to build teams effectively to be able to get that chemistry and tap into what's important to each individual person that will motivate them towards achieving what you need to achieve as a collective group. And so some of the mentors that I've had along the way, that was something we really worked on is how do you build your team? How do you put teams together? How do you make sure that everybody knows what their piece of the project is and, you know, how to kind of work together on those things. And, you know, I just think that's so important is it is all about the people. It is all about the people. One of the things that I always try to impress upon younger people coming into the business world is if you're going to be a leader, it means somebody's got to follow you. And they follow you because you've done some things that make them feel good about being as part of this team. And it's, it's critical. I mean, some of us maybe work alone for a period of time, but if CEO and senior leadership is, is on your agenda, working with people and the ability to do so is a must. I think so too. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing I would say too, is it's just so important to have mentors along the way. You know, I think about, I've had a number of different mentors along the way who have taught me and modeled, you know, the things that I want to make sure that I include in my leadership skill set. And I wouldn't be here today without them. So for example, I had a mentor when I was very young and actually moving from 
the technical side of the game into leading people. And, you know, to me, it just is, you know, again, having the plan, you know, you sketch out the plan and everybody's going to work the plan and, and it's all going to go okay because you have a plan. <laughs> and really, you know, again, you need the people to follow you and to follow the plan. And so how do you communicate effectively and how do you check in on it? How do you give people what they need? And, you know, especially you think about during times like COVID, when there were so many different stressors pulling on people while you were also trying to move that ball down the road on the projects and on the initiatives and what have you. It was such a time when, you know, you really needed to make sure you were constantly checking in with the person even more so than you normally would because people were just really at their stress and breaking point at different times. Well, and I would also imagine because you don't kind of just meet in the hallway because you're not physically together. So there's not always the same opportunity for just things that, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to ask you about this. I haven't really worked in that environment. COVID came after I retired, but I'm sure it took a lot of discipline to be able to make sure you used your time efficiently. If you're going to talk to somebody, you got a list of things to talk to them about because you're not going to run into them at the coffee machine or something like that. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. You know, you have to be very intentional to actually place time on the calendar when you're working with remote teams like that so that, you know, it doesn't go three or four weeks down the road and you haven't checked in with the person and they're perhaps stuck, you know, on the project or they're dealing with some things that you didn't know that they were dealing with. You have to be very intentional about carving out that time to really sit and listen to what is going on with the person. And sometimes it's hard over Teams and Zoom and some of the video platforms that we have. But, you know, thankfully now we're actually able to drop into offices and we're still working remotely to some degree. We have a hybrid environment where we're at right now. So I'm able to drop in, you know, every few months and work with the teams. But then we catch up on Zoom and Teams in between. And I guess, you know, if you look at kind of the glass half full here, maybe this period of time has forced us to expand our leadership skills and maybe we'll even be better leaders because of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about mentors. The mentors that you had, did you ask them to be your mentor? How did it actually evolve? I think some young women, you know, understand the concept, the value of mentors, but don't know how to go about and create that relationship. Can you talk a little bit about how one might create such a relationship? Absolutely. So I've had mentors along the way that I have asked, you know, just reached out because I admired something that they did or they had a skill set that I was working on and I felt like I could learn from them. But I've also had mentors that were formally assigned through programs at work, you know, through leadership programs, you get assigned a mentor and, you know, you work with them for a few years. And sometimes it continues on, you know, beyond that point. So I've had a number of mentors actually along the way. And honestly, a lot of them have been female mentors, which I've really very much appreciated the perspective um, from the female mentors as well, because it brought you know, maybe not as much now, but, you know, 20 years ago, there was a little bit more of that flavor of, you know, the dichotomy of trying to be a a female worker while also, you know, keeping the home front activities going on and keeping the house and the kids and what have you. And I think it's a little bit different now, you know, we have more partners that are also sharing duties now in the home, but you know, there were some challenges back then that it was really nice to have female mentors that would come up that have also been through that too in the workplace. 
And, you know, helping to guide on that front. But I would say, so my first mentor that I was working with, she was assigned to me through one of those formal programs. And she also was a scientist. And I gained immense perspective from her on just, she held a mirror up to me and said, this is who you are. This is where you want to go. These are the things that, you know, we can work on together and I will give you feedback. And she was very honest with me and very open. And it takes courage to do that, to be very open and honest with people, to help them, you know, in the long game. And so I, I credit her quite a bit with having a lot of open and honest conversations with me. And we still talk today. And this was almost 20 years ago, actually. And then, you know, again, throughout the years, I've had other mentors for different things. Like I've had mentors for executive coaching, ones that kind of take it to the next level as far as executive presence, as far as public speaking skills, communication strategies, you know, how to work with large groups of people and get them on board towards a a mission. So, you know, different purposes along the way. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure you mentioned for them to be open with you, but you have also, as the receiver, have to be open to some criticism sometime, if you want to call it that, or let's just say opportunities for improvement. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Because you know, most of us aren't born naturally with all the talents we need. And there is a learning curve to becoming a good leader. So being open to listening to what the things are you can do from your mentor is also, I think, a skill of a certain sort. Because even as a leader, not all of us are going to know everything about all the things. We've got people who work with us, for us, in our teams And being open to listening to them to realize sometimes maybe the path we're going on, there might be a better path. It's all part of becoming a mentor yourself as you get more wisdom, but also always being receptive to hearing how you can become a better leader. I think that's 100% true. And you're right. Sometimes what you hear back stings a little bit and you have to sit and process a little bit. And you might even say, I don't think that's actually true. And then when you start thinking about it, you think, yeah. I could see a little bit of that. <laughs> right. Being honest with yourself sometimes is the hardest part. Right. Yeah. So you work a lot. I know that. And you still have a life outside of your career. So how do you go about balancing that? I just think people are curious. Can you really have both? And how do you make that work? Absolutely. That is definitely a topic that we talk about a lot as a leadership team. And, you know, I can tell you my own personal strategies because I do tend to get focused on, you know, really driving and, you know, getting things done and moving things along. And, you know, sometimes you can get sucked in and continue working for hours and hours, you know, and I think it's really important. You have to carve out that time to do what really makes you happy. So for example, I am the type of person that if I don't get physical exercise for a number of days it starts to impact me. The stress starts to kind of weigh on me a little bit. And so I have to make sure that I carve out time on my calendar every day, if not every other day, I try to do it every day to get some sort of exercise, whether it's cycling or walking or going to a hit class or whatever the case is. And, you know, I won't say that I'm hundred percent able to get that in all the time, but most of the time I'm able to fit that time in because I'm very intentional about carving out that time specifically to do that. You know, and I think that's really important for people. Same thing with family time. I personally feel like it's really important to carve out the time that you need for your family. 
it's also really important to have that flexibility to be able to do what you need to do. You know, my personal philosophy is if your child has a, you know, dance recital that's going on at, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon on a Thursday, you know, you should go to that recital. <laughs> you should right. carve out that time, go to the recital. Cause I mean, that's not going to happen every day. You need to make sure you're there for your family. You know, you might get on later on at night after they go to bed and finish cranking out that report or you might get up early in the morning, the next morning to do it or whatever. But those things are important. You have to carve out time. For that. And I guess it's a matter of really deciding what are the priorities? What are the things that can't be put off? So like you said, certain events with children, you cannot put it off to another time. You either do it now or you miss the opportunity. Versus responsibilities with the office, some of them you can put off, but some of them also become a priority. And there are times where you're going to have to make choices. But I think, like you said, it's carving the time out. Hopefully it happens. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. But if you don't at least make the schedule, it will probably never happen. Absolutely. So what advice would you give someone who really wants to make it to the top? That's your goal. If I'm lucky enough to interview you again, the next time you're going to have CEO behind your name. What kind of advice would you give to someone right now who is also trying to get to the top? Yeah, I would say don't be afraid to take a little bit of a different step than what you thought you were going to be on that path to get the experience that you need to get to the long game, if that makes sense. You know, for example, if you are in an operations role and you know that you want to be a CEO and the company that you want to be the CEO for definitely has, you know, strategic growth priorities that are going to be very aggressive, you probably need to take a step over and get some experience in the strategy space so that you know what those skill sets look like. You can kind of cut the chops there and get some experience on the resume that way. And then but that also prepares you for that role in the long term. The other thing I would say is I used to think that all CEOs were sort of the same, meaning like if you're a CEO of company A, you could be a CEO of B or C or D or what have you. And I really am realizing now that different companies have different needs and also different climate times have different needs. So for example, if you are you know, somebody who is working for a company that has very aggressive growth goals, that CEO needs to have that strategic vision and the ability to take teams towards those sorts of creative steps to grow the company. If you are looking to be the CEO of a small company that you know will stay that way for a little while because they just had a big growth jump, for example... You know, maybe you need to have a really good hand at operations so that you can really optimize that operation. I think it's really fascinating for me to think about now what different companies need at different stages in their life cycle. Right. That's a good point. And we, in a lot of our ABC to CEO materials, we say it's not like there's one path to CEO. Right. There's multiple paths. There's a lot of common traits, having PL responsibility. I like to say you need contact with your product or service or contact with the customer on the other end. Those things are critical. As you said, if you're in a growth mode, the business development and strategy side is hugely important. If you've just made a big acquisition, being able to maximize the opportunity of that takes a different kind of skill set. So yeah, that is interesting. So to look at a CEO role 
at different periods of time, probably the best CEO is either adaptable to that or they move to a role where she can utilize what are her best skills. Right. But yeah, that's a good way to look at it because there is no, again, one path, but at the same time, there are common traits, common things that you will find. It's just a matter of what makes the priority at a different company at different periods of time. And I guess that's what makes entrepreneurial CEOs a lot more interesting also. We don't really talk about that all the time when we're talking to corporate people like you, but women who choose to go kind of that path, they're putting on a lot of different hats at different periods of time also. This has been just wonderful to talk to you, but is there any other thing that you would like to add to the comments you've made that you want to pass on as being a mentor to maybe thousands and thousands of young women once we publicize? Yeah, I would say, you know, one of the pieces of advice that I would give is stretch yourself. You know, don't be afraid to put yourself out there for that next role. I hear when I'm mentoring folks all the time, oh, I don't have 100% of the skill sets that are needed to go for that certain role. Well, you know, a lot of people don't. And the other part about it is too, is if you don't ever apply for that next role, you know, you're not going to get the opportunity to go in that direction. If you apply, if you interview, you'll probably at least get some really good feedback on some of the areas that you could start to work on. And then you're set up for the next time that the opportunity comes forward. My biggest advice, especially to younger women is don't be afraid to stretch yourself to go for that goal. If you don't make it, it's not a failure. You're still getting good feedback. You're still making headway and you will get there at some point if you stick with it. And Studies even show that oftentimes women believe they need to know 80% of the job before they raise their hand that I can do it. And historically, our male counterparts look at it a little differently and maybe aren't waiting to get 80% before they raise their hand. So I think we need to do a little bit more better education on you don't have to know the job, the whole thing when you first come into it. There's a learning curve for everybody. And anybody who becomes a CEO, when I've talked to a lot of them, will say once they become CEO, they're also a little bit uh, sometimes like, well, I really don't know all of the different things, but I've got a great team and they're going to help. That's 100% true. And then you figure out where those weak spots are and you make sure that you've got that on your team and then you're covered. Right. All right. Well, thank you, Andrew. This has been just a delightful conversation. You have a wealth of knowledge. We wish you the best as your own career future goes on here. And I just want to remind everybody that ABC to CEO is a non-for-profit organization. And our purpose is mentoring young women to not only become leaders, but become the leader of organization, either one that already exists or one of your own making. So Please check us out at abc2ceo.com and let us know how we might be able to help you further. And until next time, I'm Sharon Feeler. Thank you. And Andra, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Sharon.